there was one time Gina and I were looking for something to do on a Saturday and we were like, let's do something cheap. We don't want to spend a lot of money. So we decided to go up to Volo. There's a Bog Park, State Park yeah, or something, Bog, right? Yeah. Yep. So we went up there. We were going to just walk around, spend a nice, cheap afternoon out. But Well, gentlemen, we have the whole LMY Life Money U team together for the first time ever, actually, on the podcast. So wow. welcome to Bjorn Larson, Warren Bell. You've seen him on our previous Airbnb episode and myself, Peter Waitsman. We are happy to host. How are you guys doing today? Fantabulous. Yeah, doing well. This is super fun to be together. I am honored to get the invite to be on this all together. Yeah, well, <laughs> I have a first question for you guys. Do you know what kind of cars dogs hate? Vets. <laughs> That's pretty good. We should have like music. Like <laughs> it should be like the bump bump ba ba. Oh, you raise the stakes and then you bring them way down. <laughs> I bring up a car dad joke today because I wanted to talk to you guys about cars. We haven't previewed any of this and I thought it would be a good conversation because the conversations that we've had in the past around cars I think have been really interesting because I think we have three people here who have three fairly different philosophies on cars <laughs> and I wanted to talk about them because I think a lot of people might relate to any one of us maybe some of us but I am just kind of curious Warren maybe we could start with you uh, you have had some interesting car stories this last year, and I think they are indicative of how you kind of look at cars overall. Can you just paint the picture of kind of what your car situation is and how much you care about it? You know? Yeah, let's start with a 2006 Toyota Sienna automatic sliding door. And I was driving that. It broke for a little bit. So then I was driving a, like, 2004 Buick. And now the van was fixed, so I'm back on the Sienna. Back to the Sienna. And I feel like a little bit like you just endure cars. You don't really seek them out. In fact, you kind of thought about going carless at one point too, right? So, I mean, to be honest, I want to be carless. Like in an ideal world, I wouldn't need a car. I live in the city of Chicago. Like I live in a, an area where I can walk to everything that I need. I can bike to everything else. There's a train or a bus if I need it. There's Ubers literally anywhere and everywhere. The only thing I need a car for is to visit my parents because they live in the suburbs. And then I tend to take a lot of camping trips and road trips. And renting a car even for a weekend can cost, you know, a lot of money. And, and it's just for, for, for a camp trip, it's crazy to spend $500 just to rent a car just so you can go camping. But yeah. So you are the reluctant car owner. Maybe I'll paint the picture there. Yeah. We'll circle back to this because I'm going to want to dive a little deeper. But Bjorn, I think maybe you kind of fit more of this middle of the road car philosophy. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about your car situation? I'm probably the practical car owner. If we're going mm. for, for naming ourselves, I'll, yeah, I like I'll it. just take a shot at it. We also have a Toyota Sienna. It's a little bit newer, but we have the practicality with four kids and a dog and my wife, we've got to all try to find something that's going to work. So we've never bought a new car ever. We probably never will. I've tried to buy like maybe four-year-old cars, four to five-year-old cars. It's been kind of mileage-based, but you know, mostly just financially based. You're just trying to find the right break point there, I guess, not trying to take the depreciation hit on a newer car. 
And we also have a Toyota RAV4, which when we bought the van, we were actually going to sell the RAV because we were going to get a little bit more for that. And just buy like, a, I don't know, Honda Accord or, you know, Honda Civic, something that was just great gas mileage for work driving. But we decided that it might make sense to have another car that had a few more seats. And I think at that time we had three kids. So I'm glad we made that decision because now with four kids, I can't take everyone in the RAV yet, but I can take half the family. And so it's, it's served us very well. And in our climate in Minnesota, the RAV actually has four-wheel drive, which is nice. So I've got some kind of options of getting around if it's not very good weather versus the van is is not as good. So, but that's a 2010 Toyota RAV4. I think we bought that maybe in 2013 or 14. So I kind of just always followed that path of four-year-old cars. I didn't know if I would ever be a minivan owner, but I have to say I really like it. It's extremely practical for our family and saves us a lot of dinging other car doors next to us with the sliding doors. <laughs> so. I highly recommend the <laughs> go seating, which the Siennas have, because you can yes. you can fold the back seat into the car. The other two seats fold up against the, the front seats, and you can fit a, a full queen bed in the back of your car. So I actually <laughs> even, I even took a, a road trip out west during the pandemic and lived in my van for a little bit. So, again... Could I agree with you? I couldn't recommend vans enough. Down by the Hashtag river. Hashtag van life. Yeah. So we've got <laughs> the reluctant car owner in Warren. We've got the practical car owner in Bjorn. And I would say if I Are had to Peter? grab a headline, maybe I should start with this. As I grew up in Detroit, the Motor City, you know, when I was really, really young, it was only overlapped a few years before my father went into financial services, but he actually worked for Chrysler for a few years. So we had like company cars, actually the whole Detroit scene is kind of weird because 25% of Detroit works for an automaker. If you are related or friends or family of someone who works at an automaker, you get like these really good discounts on cars and leases and all sorts of stuff. So new cars abounding is common in Detroit and the car culture is very strong in Detroit. So a lot of guys are into old American muscle and hot rods and I used to go down to Woodward and watch them. And, you know, even my uncle had this old car. I was always hounding him to let me help him work on his car. I loved working on cars. My When I got my first car, I pulled in the garage. Instead of driving it, I just took it apart. When I moved to <laughs> Chicago, finding a place that had a garage was kind of like the only thing on my checklist so that I could have cars. I have spent a decent portion of my pastime on cars. And I have owned cars and sold cars. And I probably always have more than I ever should. And so I would probably label myself the enthusiast. So we have the reluctant owner, the practical owner, and the enthusiast here. And that's why I wanted to bring us all together because I think it's kind of very different how we look at cars and it can kind of apply the same thing. You know, how you look at TV or vacations or, you know, the home you're buying or anything like this, you know, you can be on different ends of the spectrum. I wanted to throw it back to Bjorn here, first of all. Have you ever thought about going carless? Warren said that he was trying to get out of the cars. And you said, you know, you're kind of the practical owner. And I feel like most practical owners don't ever really think about not having a car. Yeah, I would say it definitely depends on where you live. You know, I think that's a reality. And I guess like your family situation. So we're probably like right on the edge of do we have to have a couple of cars? I think we would never be able to go carless just because we've got to find a way to get around as a family, but I have very strongly considered going down to one car. 
and that would be, you know, keeping the van, just getting rid of the Toyota RAV. But I think what's made it easier is that we own the cars. So if I was paying on a loan, it would make it maybe a little bit easier to make that decision. But because we, we've been able to own them, of course, it makes it a little bit easier to keep it. But with all the upkeep costs and the insurance and just having to deal with that gas, everything, um, I know that it would save us a lot of money each year. So I, I actually have thought about it more than not thinking about it, <laughs> to be honest, especially because we live in the city. But as we have played it out and thought through like a normal week, even though I'm mostly working from home, there's still enough times where we actually need both cars. It would be very inconvenient, I guess. I mean, I think we can make it work, but it's just that time cost right now in life that plays a big role in in keeping them. So what I think has been good is that the, the Toyota RAV actually has the most miles on it, but I'm driving it so infrequently that I, I think I'm putting less than 5,000 miles on it a year. So maybe even less than 4,000 miles a year on it. So... There's the upkeep costs for sure, but there's not as many because I'm not driving it as often. And so my total cost just will not be that high if I kind of keep going at that rate and it'll last a really long time because I think I have like maybe 115,000 miles on it. And so, I mean, it'll last for a few more years, you know, if I drive it that infrequently throughout the year. So that's how I've justified it and been okay with hanging on to it. I have thought about it pretty strongly at times and and just wondered like, man, maybe it would be worth it for us to get rid of that one and just try to figure it out or Uber around. I know, Warren, you've done that. And so, I don't know, I could be persuaded. So, but <laughs> the persuasion stops at not being car less, just having fewer cars, right? Maybe having yeah. a minimal number of cars. You know, Warren, what do you think about that? Do you think someone could be persuaded to be car less? You know, because we aren't as kids, I can see why it'd be really difficult just because, I mean, especially, I remember my dad was basically just my chaperone, my, my sister and my, my chaperone for, you know, all of middle school and high school for like seven years. That's all he did was just drive. He would like drop one of us off, pick the other one up, drop that one off, then go pick the other one up. And so for kids, I think it's really difficult. But like, like you said, you're from the Motor City. You know how Americans are. Like they, they need their car. Like Americans are terrified to walk more than like a few blocks. I mean, like I have good friends that live in the city of Chicago and they won't walk four blocks. They'll call an Uber. So, you know, people are funny Wait, about it. You can walk four blocks? I kind of feel like that's breaking the law or something. It's only like half a mile. Yeah. The American law. You kind of have to undo some of that thinking, right? I mean, cars are so ingrained, I think, in the American culture. What? America is a big country. So, you know, I think one of the things that we have had is the luxury space, you know, where a lot of countries have a much more urban environment where public transportation is more heavily invested in and, and whatnot. Now, I think there are a lot of financial people that talk about not owning cars, right? It's like a better financial decision. You know, take the Uber. It may be painful to pay 20 bucks or 30 bucks or a hundred bucks for an Uber, but it's less than the cost of cars. I mean, do you do you buy that? Do you think there's some validity to that? I mean, Bjorn, as you think about, hey, maybe if we went down to one car and I just actually paid out of pocket for transportation and Warren, you have been without cars sometimes, or yeah. sometimes you're right on that bubble of thinking like, oh, should I just get rid of this and get rid of the recurring expenses of maintaining this guy or parking it or gas or whatever? You know, what are the considerations that stop you from going totally carless and, you know, using services, but instead keeping your 
Yeah, I mean, I can jump in here. I do think that it'll be worth pricing it out because I do think as I travel, I mean, I always do an Uber. I like never rent a car. Some people, they don't use Uber very much. I mean, I use it pretty often and I live in a city where they're readily available. So I do think that it would be not too bad to get around that way here. And I mean, you're kind of making me want to price it out, to be honest, (laughs) because I'm thinking about, okay, how much do I spend in gas and yada, yada, yada. As Warren said, like with kids, I mean, there's the the fact of just getting them around. But then I'm thinking too of having a family with four kids, flying is really expensive for us. I mean, it is super expensive. So if we want to travel, Uh you know, the van also opens up the door, I guess, for the road trip. Now we could rent a van. I mean, I think that's a possibility. I've never really thought of that before. I don't know. You think it'd be kind of too expensive? I mean, it'd be interesting to price it out because I think, you know, we have like, we're Costco members and I've gotten really great deals through them. So it would just be kind of interesting to, to think through it. I also just think too, like, I don't know, just from a safety side, I guess, of me, like as a dad, you know, just thinking like being able to get my kids to medical care if they need it. Or I suppose you could always get help getting somewhere, but, you know, just to be able to get somewhere quickly if you needed to, that is just another factor that I think about. So I'm not quite there going completely carless. I mean, I definitely should price out probably the other car because, I mean, it just sits there and loses value. (laughs) What if we took a van and we turned it into like a medical care provider and it would come to you, you know, as a a business? The life money you like it. That's the new business we're going to get into here. Well, I think that's definitely a possibility. And Warren, you probably have thought about this more than the rest of us, right, in terms of like, what you would have to budget on a regular basis to get around to the places that you would want if you weren't with so, car? So I, I just I just did some mental math in my head for for an old van that's paid off that that needs relatively little maintenance. I bet it averages between four to five hundred a month. So I mean that's a lot of Ubers, a lot of Ubers. How'd you get to that four to five hundred? Like what are you including in that? Yeah. So I mean I drive very very little. But the but the van's also gets terrible mileage, so I still pay minimum two fifty a month in gas, pay about a hundred a month in insurance, that's three fifty, and then I like averaged out fifty to one hundred and fifty bucks for maintenance, including oil, etc. Et okay, et I mean, so yeah. that's your obligation to your current car, not necessarily what you would spend on Uber, right? Well, so e- even though the car is paid off, which I think all of us here are paid off on our cars, right? No, none of us are financing it, so we don't have yep. that piece in the calculation. Some people will have a five or six hundred dollar a month payment in their calculation, but I think all of us buy our cars in cash, so that's not the issue. But just the cost of ownership, like you're talking about, four or five hundred dollars a month is a lot, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and, and the, the that's reason crazy. That, I, that I gave that fifty to one hundred and fifty like range of, of like maintenance and extras because some months I do drive a little extra, and so that's an extra fifty. 50 bucks of gas. Yep. Some, months, some months I have to get the tires changed. So that's the $500 expense you got to like amortize over the year. I just had to get my O2 sensors replaced. Mm-hmm. And then when they were replacing those, they found a nail in the tire. And then that had to get, you know what I mean? It's just like, it, it's small little things. But so the other thing to consider because I live in the city and for city dwellers, I get parking tickets. And I get speeding tickets and I get, <laughs> I get something that, that I don't know, like, I don't know if you guys get these, but we've got red light tickets and, and, and like robo speeding tickets. So like, it, there doesn't need to be a police person anywhere nearby. I'm not kidding. It's not uncommon for me to rack up, let's say close to a thousand dollar in parking, speeding ticket, 
red light something. Oh man! Depending on your municipality, <laughs> I mean the, the the speeding red light, all of that exists. I, I'll tell you what. There was one time Gina and I were looking for something to do on a Saturday, and we were like, "Let's do something cheap. We don't want to spend a lot of money." So we decided to go up to Volo. There's a Bog Park State Park. Yeah, or something, Bog. Right? Yep. Yep. So we went up there. We were going to just walk around, spend a nice, cheap afternoon out. But I think Lakemore, which has a T intersection up there, has a red light camera. Now, the issue is you have to come to a complete stop before you make the turn. The turn is legal, but somehow I came to two or three miles per hour as my made the turn because there was no one there. We're talking about an hour north of where I live. And boom. In the mail, a week later, I get a $120 ticket. So th- there, our cheap day out ended up being, you know, offset with a brutal red light camera ticket. So I feel your pain on that. I, well, I just, I never thought of it being that expensive. I mean, I, but you're right. Like if I actually go do the math, I mean. You know, a lot of talking heads will say, you know what? You should spend $3,000, get yourself a good used car, you know, cut down your costs. You know, and I hear those things and I think. How reliable is a $3,000 car going to be? You know, Warren, you're kind of in that boat. You've had a lot of car repairs lately. You've kind of even hacked ways to get them cheaper. But just the ownership of cars is is expensive, right? I mean. Yeah. I, like, I still don't know how I ever commuted five days a week. Because cause not only was I commuting five days a week, but then every weekend, you know, I was, I was driving all over the place, too. I don't know how I spent that much time or money in, in my car. Now, now I commute maybe one day a week, and I'm still... Because of gas prices, etc., I'm still spending two fifty a month. So, wow, yeah. What about you, Bjorn? You've got two cars, both paid off. You are probably pretty diligent about maintaining them. But you know, between oil changes, the nail and the tire, you could have asked them like, "How much will you pay me for that nail? Will that offset the repair of the tire?" <laughs> but there's just a lot of costs. I mean, I, I would say I have cars that I do not drive regularly. In fact. Sometimes, because I may only drive it once a year, when I fire it up, it tells me to get the oil change because it's not an issue of mileage. The onboard computer just has said you haven't gotten your oil change. So ironically, I don't like starting it up because I'm just kind of conditioned. Every time I do, I've got to get an oil change. It's kind of expensive, and I'm actually sure that the oil is just fine. But in many cars, and many modern cars, you can't get rid of these warnings or you'd have to do it and then kind of bookkeep when you actually got your oil changed and all these other things, but they're going to kind of nag you regardless. So it's not kind of in the old days where you just had to eyeball it or remember we put the little sticker in the windshield to say, Hey, got to get it done. But now you've got so many nannies on board. You're going to be hounded every time you get in your, your own car. But Bjorn, you've got a couple paid off cars. They seem like they're in pretty good shape. They're not super old or anything, but yet you know, you haven't really yeah. looked at the cost of them, right? We've got insurance. You actually changed your insurance lately. That helped reduce some of right. that. But I know I was trying to just do, I was doing some mental math too. I think I'm a little bit less expensive than what you described. I was just thinking I probably spend less than $50 a month on gas. I'm thinking of just the RAV, right? That's the only car in question that we're going to keep the van. But let's just say, I don't know, 50, 50 bucks, I guess, is an easier calculation. So $600 in gas a year. Then I have tabs. I think they're pretty cheap now because the car is over 10 years old. So they're probably like 50 bucks now. So that's $650. And you got oh, some. Sorry. Oh, no. I, I, I'd never heard of tabs before, but I think that means license plate. Stickers? Yeah, stickers on the license plate. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah that's what we have. We have to. Register Which here in Illinois, Warren, they're pretty expensive, right? Don't they keep raising them to get more revenue? It's, it's like $145 a year now. 
Oh, wow. And then yeah, that's yeah. City sticker that's another, like, 200 or something. I don't know. Oh gosh, okay. Originally, car cost might be closer to six now that I'm talking through all this, but. Oh man, okay. Well, so if I put in the tabs and then like I put in the half of the insurance, which again, it's probably lower because the value of the car is lower. So I'm probably a little closer to like $1,000 a year. But then I would say then if, if there's a year where there's a big maintenance cost, like if I have to do tires, which is probably every other year or like a big fix, you know, that's another at least $500, but let's just round it up to 750. So I'm probably between $1,500 and $2,000 a year. So it's a little bit harder because that's still not nothing. That's a nice chunk of money just to kind of burn away essentially. And as you keep the car, the value just going down. So I didn't even factor in the depreciation cost, but I have to do that actually. So that's probably another 2000 a year if you're thinking the, the depreciation of the vehicle coming down too. So yeah, I mean, a couple hundred bucks a month. Could use that somewhere else. <laughs> so uh, And brakes, oil, tires, I mean, are all things you're going to have to change on all cars. Even windshield wiper blades, I realized. I replaced yeah. them recently on a yeah. car, and it was like $22 per blade because they had to have the special hook and all that stuff. And I was just thinking, man, you know, imagine you were just winging it, right? I mean, even if you just had an old car, the wiper blades are probably going to go out. You know, you might have a leak. You might have a hose that needs to be replaced. You know, all, all of these things. And I kind of wonder if someone were coming to you today and saying, hey, I'm thinking about buying a car. You know, I just need transportation. What would you guide them on? Would you try to talk them out of it? Would you say, hey, think about these costs, go Uber? Or would you say, hey, it's worth getting a, a cheap car, having transportation at your discretion or whenever you need it, you know, how would you counsel people on the idea of owning a car? Ooh, I'd like, it'd be really specific to, to their individual situation, obviously, but in general, I would say, don't do it. It's a money pit. Like if you could get like a free, not a free car, but if, if you have a family member that could give you a car for free or for very low price for, 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 for less than what its actual value is, I would say maybe consider that. But if you don't 100 thousand percent need the car i would say duck and run like you don't need it i would say i'd want to kind of just tease out their use cases for it so how often do you go to work how often do you have to drive other places and then i would say build in a little cushion just for the unforeseen kinds of things and then i would just price it out probably i mean would definitely say go more practical to use my version of cars, I guess, but I would say don't over purchase. You know, if you don't need the super nice car, I mean, even if you like it, I guess there's some factor there. If, if you're an enthusiast and you uh, really like cars and there's some value that you get out of that, you just have to weigh that, I guess, against other things that you like to do and figure that out. But I would say, man, do not overbuy. I'd, I'd be closer to you, Warren. I would say like, keep it super cheap. I mean, th there's such a perception, I guess, of, of the kind of car you drive. And like that, that's definitely a factor. But the reality now is that you can get around even on like a pretty old junky car <laughs> by most people's standards. And it can just kind of get the job done. Because to, to me, that is what a car should do. It needs to either get the job done, or if you don't have a job for it, <laughs> then don't have it. <laughs> but, but so th this actually brings up a question for me for, for Pete. And then you said Bjorn. Cause I know, I know Pete's, he's a car guy. Like I even heard some fun stories about his, you know, maybe buying a BMW at a very young age. Pete, Bjorn said like, 
was my second something car. About, something about like what you actually need from a car. At what point does something become a need, and when is it a want for a car? Because I mean, mm. you know what I mean. Like, like is is power windows and power locks like is that a need nowadays? Is a, is a rear view camera a need or? I don't know. I'm just. I, I want to hear your thoughts because I know that Pete, you you kind of need the nicer things on cars sometimes. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I've had cars that haven't had them and rearview cameras, and you know the funny thing about it is, none of those car features are really what I care about in cars. What I like about cars to me is one. I would say initially when I first got into cars, it was about the freedom. You know. It wasn't a social media world. It wasn't an internet world. To me, when I was growing up and I was a kid, the people that had cars had the ability to go to the parties or just cruise places or go out to the lake, right? And so, you know, luckily I had some friends that had cars. And so when you're in that group, you had that freedom too. You could go places, right? Now it's not quite the same thing because now I even have a niece who is 21 years old. She's never even had a learner permit. She's never driven a car because she's just always had, you know, her parents' Uber account and, you know, got picked up when she needed to, or friends that drove, and she never wanted it. You know, it's just a thing where I'm like, oh, didn't you ever want a driver's license? She never wanted it. For me, getting a driver's license and my first car meant freedom. To me, what I want, really wanted was a car that met, like, my needs for entertainment. You know, a car that was really comfortable that would take me to a show downtown or was a uh, drop top. It was really fun. And I could take it out West on open roads and just feel the wind in my hair. Maybe like how some guys are into motorcycles, you know, those types of things. Or, you know, one of my first cars was a Jeep Wrangler and I just loved being able to go off road and, you know, throw in some camping equipment and not have to worry about where, whether I parked on dirt that was going to be mud when I came back because we were able to get out or snow or any of those things. And so it's not necessarily about any one thing. And like I said, didn't care about cameras, didn't care about leather seats. I mean, sometimes you're looking for that. If you're looking for a really nice, comfortable experience, I think you expect all of those little features. But for me, it was like, what did I want out of life that a car could deliver a virtual reality headset could not, right? And kind of like you, Warren, I mean, a van with a queen mattress in the back could have delivered on that. You know, I've actually thought about that, right? Like, you know, a Sprinter van or something like that. Just road trip it everywhere instead of flying. See America. Stop wherever you want. You know, try out those restaurants with the pies in the window or, or whatever. You know, it, to me, it's about the experience that a car gets you, not necessarily like collecting something that no one's going to see. So that's why I'm an enthusiast about cars, because to me, you can get cars with very specific purposes. Now, you can get cars that are very general, too. And I drive a a Buick to work. You know, that's my daily driver. And it's kind of good at most things. It's not great at anything. It's not super fast. It's not super comfortable. It's reasonably quiet, reasonably fuel. You know, it just kind of checks. But it's never something I'd be like, hmm, today, <laughs> I want to get in that Buick and just hit the open road. You know? <laughs> so I think that's where I come at it from, that to me, it's a little bit the equating it to freedom to do something at a moment's notice. And depending on, like you said, where you live, that could be a lot different. Would I counsel people on doing that? I don't think so because cars, like you said, are very expensive. I think some more modern cars can be a little less expensive. Maybe they don't require the maintenance or whatnot that a gas car does, but the price point is much higher. I've heard some people talking about like how they bought an electric car so they didn't have to pay the gas bill but that electric car was twice as much as the old car. So I, like sometimes I think the math right. is a little crazy in people's head. But I mean, 
do you ever see yourself, regardless of where you might live, I mean, eventually being completely carless? I mean, do you think we're going in that trend? I think that, like, in the, in the cities and urban areas, yeah, like, you're seeing more and more pedestrian zones, more and more investment in public transportation. Here in Chicago, there's a lot of, well, there's supposedly going to be a lot more investment in bike lanes. So, I mean, I think that they're trying to move to more sustainable transportation, I guess you could say. Even just models. I kind of see Zipcar being more of the future. Like, rather than everyone owning a car, at like much more people utilizing like a zip car type service. And can you explain that? That's kind of like a monthly subscription, right? To a car. You know, to be honest, I'm not even hundred percent sure. I, I think there is both business models. I, I, I think there's some that kind of work like you're describing kind of like Netflix of cars, I guess you could say, or like an Airbnb, like you pay for a service and then you can use any of the, any of the cars in that. But there's also just services where just with an app, you can, Quick, just reserve a car down the street and go get it. There's ones that the companies do, and there's ones that individuals just uh, kind of use, lend their car or rent their car out in the gig economy. Yeah, like Turo is one where people mm-hmm. rent their cars out. It's kind of, you know, sort of like any other rental place, but it's a personal vehicle. And then at least when I was in my MBA, I was just remembering I, I used to do the car to go. So I used to bus to work and then I would bus from St. Paul to Minneapolis and then I would go to class and then I would do car to go and it was on your phone. You just put it up to the door and unlocked it and then you just paid for your use. So however far you went based on miles, whatever it was, and then you could park it in certain locations and I would just walk home and it wasn't that far. And there was these little smart cars. So I was driving home in this you know teeny little smart car and it wasn't very good in the snow, but it got the job done and it was pretty inexpensive. So... I mean, I think macroeconomically, I wouldn't be surprised if we're heading in that direction because, I mean, we know that almost all manufacturers are almost exclusively going to electric cars or at least starting to go that direction. And then, like you said, Warren, we're in Minneapolis, same thing. It's like public transportation, buses, Uber, sort of the sharing economy, the gig economy seems to be going in that direction. So I do think in a urban center, you definitely can get by without it. I think you got to kind of price it out and figure that out. But I do think we still have enough of like rural and suburbia where that isn't practical right now. But I wouldn't be surprised if someday it did become more practical. I I don't know what it will take. I I don't know. I just could see it sort of heading that direction or, or a change in the normal vehicle being like an electric vehicle or some other type of vehicle we don't know about yet coming. Well, I, I think we're really close to the sci-fi age. I think like less than a decade away of, of AI driving where your Uber no longer needs a driver. And I think that's going to lower the cost of, of rideshare technology like, like Ubers. And, and I, I think it might even make it more accessible to rural regions because they can send you your Uber with a robot driver that doesn't take up a passenger or doesn't take up driver's seat. So you can still fit five people in the car and yada, yada, yada. I was just thinking as you're saying that, and you guys are like getting me like trying to do the mental accounting right now of like, should I keep my RAV or sell it? I mean, I'm really thinking about it, but thinking, wow, if you get closer to that age of of the world, if you will, man, that the value of that car could just sort of dramatically change one, one way or the other, I guess. You know, in some ways you could say it's got no value because everyone's going to be using the cheaper form of transportation, or you could say it has immense value because it's so rare <laughs> that the people that really want it will pay more. I, I'm not sure which direction, but if it goes on the lesser value, it's maybe good to start, you know, thinking about that to some level. So I think 
it's not going to be an overnight thing for sure. I mean, duh, but it's interesting how much technology has emerged in this space. And I wonder how far back, Warren, you could even reasonably say, I don't need a car. You know what I mean? Like it probably isn't that many years ago where you, you would say like, oh no, I kind of, I have to have a car to be able to I get mean, around. I mean, I hate to say it, but I mean, most of human existence has not relied on any car at all. In most cities, it, it, it's the norm not to have a car. I'm kind of the exception. Like the, the Midwest is a little more reliant on cars, but in a place like New York City, it's it's the norm not to have a car. It's, it would be, be the rarity to have a car. Something I was going to also say, I heard you, you bring up the car, your, your RAV4 again. Why would, why would you sell it? It's only $2,000 a year. Like if you can get away with a car for $2,000 a year, I think you got to take it and run. I mean, that's, that's a steal. To you're me, it's gonna, just, you're not going to find that anywhere. Yeah. To me, it's just a question of, would it be better to try to get the value out of it now? Versus waiting, you know, like on the depreciation, if assuming that we only need one car. Well, but when, when you say waiting, like, so do you mean you're going to try to get value by selling it later? Wouldn't the value be that you have convenience and time now? Isn't that the actual value? It is. But I think eventually if we were going to kind of go with two cars, that will maybe be the first one that we'll sell over the van. So I guess I'm thinking eventually I would have to sell it. And so, you know, if I wait, six more years to sell it, am I only going to get, you know, a thousand bucks for it? Whereas if I sold it now, maybe I could get 6,000 bucks for it or something like that. And it, am I really getting that much convenience out of it? I'm not sure actually if I am or not. You, you made a good point. It's less about the money, more about the time value, just the convenience of having two cars, getting to, you know, go different places at different times. There's definitely something to consider there too. Think about that because you know, for as many cars as I've purchased over the years, and sometimes I've sold them, you know, because I've tried to take an opportunity where the car prices were dislocated from normal car prices or whatever. But in general, when I buy a car, I don't really think about the depreciation because my assumption is I'm just going to hold on to it forever. You know, and I kind of almost consider it zero value the moment I buy it, you know, which isn't really fair, but it certainly helps out me as a simple mind of not really thinking about trying to time it. But you're right. I mean, you could say, hey, where am I on this depreciation curve? And is it shallow? You know, that would kind of be the ideal thing. And because you buy cars, maybe with four years on them already, you've kind of flattened out that depreciation yep. curve, which is nice. So you don't have yep. to, to sweat it as much as someone does if they're buying something brand new. You made an interesting point, though, Bjorn, with the van kind of being your people mover, right? And the RAV4 maybe just being you and you don't drive it that often. Would either of you guys consider having a super small car, like a Scion IQ, like a three-person <laughs> car or a smart car, which is basically two people, you know, just something that if you needed to get from here to the suburbs or to the grocery store, you know, it would do that. But in terms of comfort, capacity, it doesn't have that. But maybe it would be really cheap, easy to park, easy to maintain. I drove a two-door Civic can... and it, it was great. Like, I, yeah, like it was great. Thanks. I've thought about it. I, for a while I was thinking like, maybe I should do like an electric car, like a small electric car and basically just try to lower the cost. Like assuming I'm going to have two cars, let's just get the lowest cost car that I can. So I would, I'd consider too. I think what makes it a little harder where I live is just that for four months out of the year, although I'm in the city, it's the roads are pretty good in the winter, but let's just say for four months out of the year, you can have some pretty bad road conditions. And so my question would just be, is a teeny little car like that going to be able to make it through even just a small amount of snow? It's probably the exception versus the rule. So 
roads where we're going we don't need need roads (laughs) when you were talking about ai driving cars warren you know the thing i was thinking about is when we even get there it's kind of a little bit like blu-ray to me you know we kind of went so fast from dvd to online streaming i felt like blu-ray's life was abbreviated i almost feel a little bit like these drone-based you know self-flying cars might be a reality in 10 years so do cars even have to get to the point where they're self-driving, right? And I also feel like, aren't there a bunch of TV shows where the whole power grid gets wiped out? There's an EMP. Wouldn't that, like, take out all these modern cars and then Bjorn's RAV4 and your Sienna <laughs> are, like, the last hopes for humanity? The, 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 the EMP would, would would fry your, like, your spark plugs. It would at least it would stop your car from running. Like, you could probably restart it, but it would it would stop it from from, from running temporarily. Like, it would kick it. All right. Well, let's say it's like an alien invasion and they have a way to like, you know, disrupt all the lithium batteries out there, but you can keep going because you're on that old school gas engine. You know. So my question from the enthusiast perspective, is there a car or vehicle, truck, you know, a dream vehicle for you that you really would want, that you would cherish and want to hold on to or, you know, pamper or are cars in general to you just utility? I can jump in on this one. Yeah, I I definitely have some dream cars, plural that share. I would love to We're have. All human. I think I've always wanted to have a Ferrari, so that would be pretty high up on the list. Although I think a Porsche, a Porsche convertible, I think would be great. Not really in Minnesota, but I have to move as well. <laughs> that one perfect day in a convertible will <laughs> exactly. sell you on a convertible. Exactly. There's just something about them. The wind in your hair, you're taking it in, speed under your feet. I've been able to drive a couple of really fast, like, six-speed sport cars before, and it was so fun. So I think that it, it would be fun to own one. I mean, I honestly, even just to get to, like, rent one for a day <laughs> would probably be good enough for me. So I don't know if you could call me quite the enthusiast to always have that one available, but I think I'm always abbreviated on that just because of where I live. But assuming that that wasn't an issue and I could, you know, drive it for a decent part of the year, I think it would be super fun to have something like that, that is not practical, but like you said, just fun to drive fast, comfortable. There are times where we've driven other cars in the family that are practical, but a nice, like an Audi or something that's a nicer brand car, but like an SUV or something. And those are noticeably just nicer in all ways, more comfortable, drive smoother, quieter, all these things that you kind of don't realize you don't have until you try that out. (laughs) So I'm glad I don't do it very often because then I would start to think that minivan's not that special. So, But don't like nice, typical cars that kind of confuse you. Maybe I'm projecting here. But I always find it a little funny when someone gets like a super nice SUV because I don't feel like that's really like tickling my funny bone for speed or open air. But it's like you've got all the trappings of like a nice car, but why not just have a car that's your commuter car? To me, a commuter car has never really mattered. But counterpoint? Well, I'll be honest. I was jonesing for a Jeep Grand Cherokee Limited for the longest time. I wanted, mm. like, I don't know if you've ever been in one. I, I like, I went in one in a, in a car show, the Chicago car show, and it was, like, the nicest Grand Cherokee. And seats were, like, being in the living room on a recliner. Like, this nice, leather, I mean, just decked <laughs> out interior, everything. And, you know, you just, you, you felt kind of, like, cool. And so I could see why... 
if you made enough money or if you could get like the medium package for a good price, I could see why that would be your commuter car, like, like investing a little, especially if you're one of those people that, like at the office that, you know, that we all work at, there's a lot of people that even though they live in the suburbs and they work in the suburbs, their commute is still 45 minutes to over an hour. Some, some of them commute an hour and a half because they're commuting to a, a, you know, a suburb on the opposite side of the city. And so for those people, I can see why it'd be really critical. Like they're, they're driving in snow. Sometimes yeah. they're, they're spending three hours a day in their car. I, I could see why they'd want it to be really comfortable and souped up. Safe. I can too. I can totally understand that if you had a long drive and if you're going to be using it a lot, I could totally see sort of wanting to get a little higher comfort. Wouldn't the self-driving car even be more valuable at that point? Say you just push in a button to get home, get back into that big leather seat, you know, read your favorite <laughs> book, watch a movie. I, I don't think the self-driving cars are going to be readily available. I think it's going to be kind of like the, the Teslas now, like they're a driver assist. I, I think a lot of people are still going to want to drive because I've, I've been in one of those Google, like it was an AI Google Uber. It was in Pittsburgh that they were piloting them there. And so, you know, it's an Uber without a driver. And they just are painfully slow and safe and weird. And, you know, I mean, like, like the, you, you can tell. Because it went the speed limit. You know, we don't all have to just keep cruising and racking up all these tickets, Warren. <laughs> well, I mean, but like, even, even just like, you know, at, at the stoplights, it, it does an acceleration at a fuel-efficient acceleration mm. rate. It doesn't quite hit the pedal like you or I might. Gotcha. Well, I drive pretty cautiously. So it sounds like a luxury SUV is your dream car, Warren. No, like so. To be honest, I've been I've been watching The Sopranos lately, and Tony Soprano drives like a really big, like Yukon. And so, if you could give me that merged with the minivan, like if you could put stow and go seating into the Yukon, <laughs> mm. I think I'm not kidding. I think you just sold me for life on what my car would be because oh, you get to you get oh. to kind of feel. You know, cool, like you're driving this big truck, but you've got some of the, the functionality that the minivan offers. Gotcha. Nice. So you want the Road Warrior car and the off-roader. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I can imagine there's something like that. And I will tell you what, I did just check out the new Jeep Grand Wagoneer. I don't know if it's called Grand, but it's the Wagoneer. It's kind of their new top end. And, man, you know, the outside is nice, but it's, you know, kind of Jeepy in that it's more... Uh, clean, you know, it's not as flashy as some of the other cars, but inside, oh, it is super nice, super, yeah. super nice. Definitely a, a great place to be. And when the owner came back and found me sleeping there, I didn't feel bad at all. I was like, have you seen this? <laughs> you know, and he's like, I know, I know, and I need you out of here. But uh, yeah, I did, I did check one out at the gas station. It was a pretty, pretty sweet looking car. So hey, yeah, Peter, I, how about, how, because you're the enthusiast, so I kind of mm -hmm. want to, you, you probably know about cars that I've never heard of. Oh, that you well. Are, looking at so the the one you know the reason that i picked this is because i've heard a lot about it but haven't had one myself and it's a toyota sienna so i've heard they're very popular a lot of people have them and you know every time i keep hearing them, i'm like i'm missing out on something i gotta get me into one of those so that is definitely going to be on the top of the list because it makes a perfect commuter car no door dings easy to get in and out of and you can put a queen bed in it which are all the things that are on my must-have shopping list. So Perfect. that's right up there. But yeah, cars keep evolving. And it's kind of interesting as a car enthusiast, I would say things are just changing a little bit. You know, I've noticed, Warren, you mentioned the car shows. I used to go and look at all these concept cars because I feel like the car culture just in general for everyone 
was kind of like, get something nice, look for something unique, you know, let your personality shine through the car that you drive. Let it be kind of representative of what kind of person you are or what you value or if you like road trips, you'll get a big car. If you like off-roading, it'll be an off-road or whatever it might be, right? But now I feel like that has really started to come down. Cars are much more similar. I think especially as we kind of get into day and age where transportation is easier, it's not kind of this unique personalized thing that people have. It still is in some ways and still can be. And Bjorn, like you said, if you have a Porsche convertible, there's no utilitarian need for that. That is something that an enthusiast would get, someone who wants to enjoy the drive. But for a lot of people, you know, you don't have to spend forty, fifty thousand dollars to get basic transportation. You could just buy when you want. Like you said on Uber, if you're spending four or five hundred dollars a month on a car, you know, the nice thing about not owning the car and Ubering is you can just decide to not take Ubers that month or try to figure out how to cut costs. But if you yep. do own that car, you're obligated to these ongoing expenses. You don't have a choice right. to be like, yep. I'll run on the three good tires, that one flat one. Let's just ignore it for a few months, <laughs> exactly. right? You know, cars are kind of finicky that way. And so they're kind of interesting because I think cars have clearly been in the need category for a long time, have kind of moved into the want category, and now are not even kind of like high priority in that want category sometimes. So that's what I wanted to bring you all on here. Just kind of talk about our three different philosophies on it. And it could be a million other things that we talk about cars, how they evolve and what people recommend on them. But any other last minute thoughts on cars, things you want to share, interesting stories or tips? I just, well, I was just thinking, I mean, if, if somebody's listening, I would just encourage you, if you're looking at cars or kind of like me, sort of going, oh, maybe I don't need to have the two cars or maybe we can go to one or whatever. I mean, I think you should really think about like the total costs. I think most people don't really do that. I mean, even just here, you guys were bringing up some costs I wasn't even thinking about. So just doing even just mental accounting on the total costs for the whole year and try to figure that out with gas and, and depreciation and insurance and those kinds of things. And then I think put it in terms that are meaningful to you. If you're like me, where it's a, I'm a practical car owner, I, I need to put that dollar amount in terms of things that I like really enjoy. Like how about a vacation with my family? Like the trade-off, maybe it would be worth selling the car to get extra, the nicer vacation or the vacation or an additional vacation. And so if I can put it in those terms, that can help me sort of do a little bit of a cost benefit analysis on it versus just sort of like car, no car, you know, which is usually the conversation in my head <laughs> of trying to figure that out. So we do live in a world now where it's more practical than ever to get by without a car, which is kind of interesting. So it's a really good way to think about it, that there's all this technology and maybe you have to consider it a little bit more versus sort of just the expectation that you're an American, you have a car, which isn't necessarily as much the case, at least as it has been over the last few years. You made a good point, Warren, that for many years that wasn't the expectation. So something happened in here where we started to expect that. If I could say one other thing, I think it would be, I don't know if this is as important as it once was, but Consumer Reports, my family was a huge Consumer Reports family. And it doesn't have to be Consumer Reports, but just do your research. I don't know if this is as true it once was, but when I'm 10 years ago, all cars were not made the same. I, I feel like some cars maybe might've been a little more reliable than others. And so maybe if you can do some research just to make sure that what you're buying, like I say, especially if you're gonna buy something used, you don't want to go out and buy like a model that, you know, traditionally has problems with transmission or something. So just maybe just 
do your due diligence in terms of purchasing. No, I think you guys bring up great points. You know, I've been in cars a long time and I feel a little bit like, I guess what I would suggest is that if you aren't passionate about cars, try to find that car that gives you what you need, but you aren't layering on a lot of things that you don't because you think it's going to make you happier. You know, to me, like I said, most days I'm commuting in a Buick. It just checks all the boxes for me. You know, I've customized it a little bit to fit my own personal needs. I put a wireless charging pad in there. I have Apple CarPlay, which I really like. And so it's just a convenient, comfortable place for me to be. But it could very easily get to a place where if someone's out car shopping and they're like, well, why not just get a little bigger or with the massaging air conditioned seats or, you know, it's just kind of like buying a home or taking the vacation. You kind of get into this problem of scope creep. And if it's not really something that you want or care about, kind of revisit the top priorities for yourself and, you know, get what you need, not necessarily what you want, because I think you'll enjoy the financial aspect of being able to afford the car, knowing that you're comfortable in it, maybe paying for it in cash, having it, and then putting that money to places where, you know, you will get more benefit from it. You know, that vacation or that massage you need. You can probably find a good car, any car, a cheap car even, that has a lot of good features that you need and you don't have to spend a lot on it. So those are my final thoughts. But that being said, that was our car versus car versus car episode here on the podcast. We all have very different philosophies on cars. So hopefully you'll find something that helps you in your money life with cars from our discussion today. Until next time, we'll see you later. Thanks, Thanks everyone. <laughs>